I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. And you guys, finally, 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 it is here. It is the 2016 Half Hour Intern Awards. This is the first episode of the awards. The awards will be going on for the next three weeks, and there will be one episode per week of the awards. So for the next three weeks, the Monday episode of the week will be a brand new episode, and the Thursday episode of the week will be an awards episode going over new categories and new awards. And before I get started with today's awards episode, I just want to... um, Give out a few like year-end thank yous to uh, to you guys because I uh, I don't have any of the award winners here with me to say thank you for <laughs> winning the award. So I would like to take a moment to say thank you to all of you guys. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank all of you that voted in the uh, in the 2016 Half Hour Intern Awards for who you wanted to win these awards. So all of these awards were chosen by you. They were not chosen by me. Um, so thank you so much for voting. I would also like to thank you so much to all of the people that contribute to the show on Patreon um, or donate through the site or maybe purchased a shirt or whatever it is, like any way to help support the show financially um, really means a lot to this show's future and this show's ability to be solvent and stay on the air. So thank you so much to all of you. I also want to thank all of you that have left reviews on iTunes for the show. I... I, you know, I've been doing this show for a year and a half now, but still every single time I get a new review on iTunes, it like makes my day or it makes my, well, assuming, <laughs> assuming it's a good review that you enjoy the show, it like totally makes my day and it totally makes my week. And it's so, so, so exciting still that, that you guys like this show and that it's something that you care about. And, um, and yeah, so just thank you so much to honestly, any of you guys for just even listening to the show at all. You don't have to contribute and you don't have to leave reviews on iTunes. You don't have to do anything. If you just keep listening or if you mention the show to anybody else, that is more, more, more than enough. And I appreciate that so much that you give me the ability to, um, to try to make this thing work and to continue making this podcast by listening to the show. So thank you so much for being a part of this and being a part of my life. And, um, yeah, I love all of you guys. Thank you very much. So on to the first day of the awards. In today's episode, we will be going over the Guest That Makes the Biggest Difference Award, the Most Inspirational Award, the Most Unique Career Award, and the Most Unique Hobby Award. And so the way that the awards episodes are going to go is I will read off the nominees. And after I read off a nominee, I will play a clip from the episode that I feel like um, kind of represents why the nominee was nominated for that particular category. And then after I've read off all the nominees, I will announce who the winner is as voted by you guys, the listeners. So on to the first category of guest that makes the biggest difference. The first nominee is Grief Counselor with Pascal Vermont. So this clip that I'm going to be playing for you for Pascal is where we discuss her donating her time to work with patients who are actively dying. So um, this is at a particular nursing home in San Francisco where she lives. She goes and donates her time with people that have two weeks or less to live, and they don't really have family members visiting them. So uh, here is that clip. 
another just incredible way that you volunteer your time. And this is this is like volunteer work. So this isn't A, you're not getting paid for this. B, <laughs> you don't have to be doing this. Like you could be spending this time trying to just have fun or whatever it is. But so you spend your time volunteering with Laguna Honda, which is probably the biggest skilled nursing facility in San Francisco, like a nursing home. And they um you work with their patients that are on palliative care. So like their patients that are like in hospice, they are going to be dying soon. Actively dying is the term. Yeah. It's usually within the last couple of weeks of life. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these, the, you know that this person is going to die. They don't really have any other family members to come and visit them. And then you go and spend time with them. What, first of all, like, thank you. That's like the most beautiful thing I could ever imagine anyone doing. Like what a gift. And um, like, what is it like spending time with someone that you know is going to die? Is it is it really like you're comforting the person, or you're just being there? Or what what is it exactly? I try to find out and imagine what this person has been like, the full life that they have lived. You know, I try to focus on the fact this is not just so and so about to die with whom I can barely interact because they may be you know, unconscious or not able to speak. Um, I tried to find out beforehand who they um, have been in their lifetime, Mm. what sort of job they lived, whether they were married, had children, where they came from, what religion they have, if any. And and then I tried to put a picture in my head of all those things that make up a human being, you know, the long life they may have lived. And I tried to grieve in my own head for that life that has past and i try to be there with them you know just in my own mind really but just kind of offering a presence um so they they may not uh feel uh quite so alone if if they're aware of my presence and that's not always the case but you know you'll just never know but it's better to um to try to be um to be present just in case they did such amazing work that pascal does and like so many of the nominees here that is only some of the amazing work that she does she does so many other things to help people as well um just such an amazing person so um on to the second nominee we have mastectomy tattoo artist so in this clip we hear from amy about the very first mastectomy tattoo that she ever did for a breast cancer survivor um so i've been tattooing for about 10 years and i basically got what it was a cold call sort of mass email from a breast cancer client who was canvassing um, Richmond to hopefully find um, a tattoo artist to help her tattoo a realistic 3D-looking nipple and areola or areola on her once uh, implant. She'd have a single-sided mastectomy, but she was hoping to find someone local, and she was really hoping she'd get lucky and find a woman that could help her out. Right. Um, so it started with her and I always give her massive like kudos because she'd never had a tattoo in her life and she just started calling shops when the, when the contact came through, um, and she explained what she was looking for. Um, you know, it just all clicked in my mind on my end. I was going, well, that's, was my passion, uh, that drove me into college. That's the stuff I studied and excelled at um, and loved the most in college. And now I've been tattooing for 10 years. So I know exactly what techniques I need to, you know, to apply from the tattoo end of everything. And then I also know what I need to apply from the pure art end of everything to create that, the trompe l'oeil, you know, the, the fake effect to make something look 3D. Right. I, it's um, honestly <laughs> amazing, like how 
well you did right off the bat. I, I watched your TED talk that you did and in that you show the very first patient ever. So it must have been this woman and it's unbelievable like how good the very first one ever was. Like it, it when you're looking at it straight on, it just it looks perfect like you would there's no way that you wouldn't think that that just was like a nipple you know it looks perfectly 3d and and just perfect thank you thank you very much um i I felt i don't it was one of those moments when i felt so confident that i could do this for this woman that i i didn't even tell her that i had to think about it i instantly said i can do this and it was really just meant to be if it was just going to be a one-time thing, then uh, that was fine with me. Like I was so thrilled to be able to help somebody in the in that way, um, just once in my life. All right, on to our third nominee for guest that makes the biggest difference. We have prosthetics with Kevin Carroll. So Kevin makes awesome prosthetics for people that have lost a limb either through an accident or let's say war or um, like diabetes related something like that Um, but in this particular clip what we're going to be talking about is a prosthetic limb that he made for a very famous dolphin um, named winter you might have heard the story or read it in the news or saw the disney movie dolphin tale anyways kevin carroll this guy is the person behind that he is the one that actually made the tail which is a very big undertaking for this dolphin he also makes little prosthetic flippers for turtles in his area um just a guy with a really really big heart um, that helps out people and animals alike let's let's quickly if we can go over the story of winter the dolphin since that's kind of how you were referred my way so you did the tale for what so the episode of everyone's listened to it um the dr julie was on where she rescued winter the dolphin and it was a dolphin that uh that had what was caught up in some fishing line and they ended up having to amputate the dolphin's tail and you were the person that made the prosthetic dolphin tail. It's so incredible. Um, I was traveling home one evening from my office. I heard a story on the news about this little dolphin had lost her tail. I was thinking to myself, you know, we put arms and legs on people. Why not put a tail on a dolphin? And, uh, you know, the rest is history, as I say. But but it's not. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort to come up with something that had not been done before. And it takes a good team and a team of open-minded and like-minded individuals. So I reached out to my colleague, Dan Trimpke in Sarasota, Florida, who's a very you know, brilliant clinician, brilliant mind, brilliant um, designer. And I said, Dan, you know, you're, you're not going to know, believe what I've just got you and I into. And uh, <laughs> proceeded, to, <laughs> proceeded to tell him. And, you know, we joined forces and, you know, really did come up with a great solution for this little dolphin. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, it did hit the news and hit the news a lot bigger and stronger than, than uh, we thought it was going to hit. But there was some negativity about, you know, why is Kevin Carroll, why is Dan Trimpke building a tail for a dolphin when there's so many people out there needs help? Um, and, you know, we kind of put that aside and, said, all right, you know, maybe maybe there's some truth to that. There is a lot of people that needs help. But at the at the weekends, there's some people who goes and play golf. My weekends, I wanted to go and hang out with a dolphin, you know, and um, maybe help a dolphin. So we continued to work with the dolphin and built um, the prosthetic devices. 
They come up with gel material to protect the dolphin's skin. And very quickly, people were calling, looking for the same gel that the dolphin was using to protect their skin. And one little girl in particular from the, the western part of the United States reached out to us who could not walk on her prosthetics. She said, I, I really want this dolphin's uh, protective device uh, material. Um, so we had not had it on a human. So we asked um, Dan Strimke again, who's an amputee. He said, Dan, you're going to have to test this material. And then in actual fact, the funny story there will be that even before we put it on the dolphin, we tested it on Dan. You often hear about animal testing of, of medical <laughs> devices. This is a complete, complete reversal of that. So um, we wound up um, fitting the little girl with the gel material. And because of that, she's walking today. And today, literally thousands of people across the world walking on winter's gel, the dolphin's gel material. So those naysayers of all those years back, they were saying, why were we wasting our time well, you know, realistically, we now have a very protective material for humans. We also have a dolphin who has inspired the world. And not just, you know, uh, people with physical challenges, but, but everybody. People go and listen to Winter's story and go and see Winter or see her on television. They're very much inspired by her. Um, she has brought so much, for whether it's children that have just lost a limb or a child that maybe has lost a limb to cancer and go and hang out with winter for a day. Um, it gives them great sense of, of, of comfort. Um, so we're very, um, we are more than delighted that we have helped winter and continue to help her. All right, on to our fourth nominee. By the way, the other categories for the most part um, throughout the entire Half Hour Intern Awards have three nominees per category. Um, this one just happens to have five because there were five truly truly amazing guests that i i just didn't want to leave out um an extra two that we're doing such amazing work so on to the fourth nominee in this category it is tim thomas from australian special forces um so tim is actually nominated for two different awards he's nominated for this and he's also nominated for the most inspirational award um and in this clip in particular we talk about the work that he does with mates for mates which is um, a nonprofit that he joined in Australia after he exited the special forces, trying to help Australian veterans that are coming home that are dealing with PTSD or any sort of other um, just issues with with getting back into the swing of things and getting back to their normal life in Australia. Um, really amazing work that Tim is doing with them. And uh, this clip kind of highlights the way that he was able to change the culture at the center in his town to make it more approachable for more veterans. So I thought, okay, we're going to change this up. I've got to create something that people can access, you know, whenever they want. So I started these social groups that would meet and at the, you know, it was, you know, at nighttime. So it was outside sort of, you know, daytime hours um, at the centre, around the fire, um, really good food, really good barbecue, and then would circle up the chairs and we'd, I'd read out like this. These are the principles of why we're gathered here. You know, it's about um, creating a space where you can be yourself. You know, knowing that if you talk, you're heard, and if someone else talks, you can hear them. And whatever's said here stays here. And it's about sober engagement. I 
okay, because the Vietnam veterans taught us that, you know, five minutes of sober engagement is worth five years piss talk. So that's sober engagement, safe space, group dynamic, all of a sudden, because I worked really hard to get three or four, it was really hard to get three or four guys just to turn up. But once I got that small group and we got the culture right, when someone joined into that group, all of a sudden they snapped into that culture, which is when you turn up, there's three hands out to shake your hand, make you feel welcome, make you feel relaxed, make sure you've got everything you need. You can, you know, be yourself here. Um, and that really, really flourished. Um, and from and I used to do it on the Monday night to sort of set it up for the week. And I because often when you're helping people, they won't often say, um, I would say a very small minority of people say, oh, this is actually doing something for me, especially blokes. Um, but when I got emails and phone calls from the partners of these guys, then they say, look, after a Monday night barbecue, he is so much better on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know. That really meant meant the world to me because I was tapping into something that was that was bigger than me and it needed to be because these guys spend more time with themselves than they do with anyone else. So if I could give these guys an environment where they could bring out the best of themselves, then all of a sudden it was easier on me and on everyone in the group. And I've been doing that now for about two years and that Monday night group has now changed the whole culture of the centre. People come, you know, Monday through Friday and they're happy just to sit, chill out, talk, you know, um, and be themselves. On to our final nominee, Brian Friedlander, who is an assistive technology consultant. So assistive technology is technology that helps those with learning disabilities or other disabilities um, so that they can function and operate as a normal student or as a normal member of society. So particularly, Brian deals with students in school and um, trying to kind of play a matchmaker between the educators in a school system and the technologies that are out there to help these kids best uh, kind of fit in and feel comfortable in their environment in school and maximize the things that they're able to do. And as he talks about in this clip, what he really tries to focus on is is kind of maximizing the kids' strengths that they already have because all of these kids are going to intuitively have certain strengths. And Brian really likes to focus on um, heightening those strengths and making these kids fit in and feel um, at home while they are at school. And um, just such an amazing gift to be able to give these kids to make them feel um, less out of place and more uh, more comfortable in a school setting. So um, without further ado, here is the final nominee, assistive technology consultant. I do a lot of consulting to school districts in New Jersey um, where, you know, uh, the disabilities might be everything from having cognitive disabilities to students that may be on the um, autistic spectrum um, to a lot of kids with uh, dyslexia, learning disabilities. Um, so I, I really kind of, um, you know, work with kids across a wide range of, um, uh, you know, abilities and, and disabilities, which is always uh, exciting for me because each student is unique. And what I'm trying to do is kind of match their, their strengths, their weaknesses with some of the technologies that are available so that, um, you know, I could, I could help them kind of reach 
their maximum potential in you know in the you know in the classrooms and at home um, to do homework. Um, you know, so I you know deal with a lot. Most of what I'm de- dealing with is work with a lot of kids who also have difficulty with handwriting. So of course, keyboarding and things of that sort are going to be important. Kids with reading disabilities, writing disabilities, spelling disabilities, math disabilities. Um, as well as kids who have what we call executive function disorder, um, who have difficulty with or you know organizing and planning, and which sometimes carries over into writing an essay. You know, and if you if you have kids who have let's say attention deficit disorder and have executive function disorder, and then you're asking them to you know to do writing and organize ideas, and they also have difficulty with handwriting, it's it's challenging for them and very frustrating. So kind of look for solutions that kind of empower them to so that they can they can show uh, you know, their parents their teachers what they're capable um, of doing and also lower the frustration and which is really important so I kind of kind of look at assistive technology as you know increasing their you know taking what skills they have and sort of magnifying it through the use of the technologies reducing frustration which is key and also allowing them to be independent And the winner for Guess That Makes the Biggest Difference, as voted by you guys, the listeners, is Mastectomy Tattoo Artist with Amy Black. And yeah, just such amazing work that Amy is doing, helping women after they have been strong and fought through breast cancer to return to a sense of normalcy and uh, feeling comfortable in their bodies and their skin again. So thank you so much, Amy, for the wonderful work that you are doing. The next category to be awarded will be most inspirational, and we have three sort of different types of inspiration for this award. So the first nominee is Australian Special Forces, yet again, with Tim Thomas. His inspiration, in my opinion, is sort of a uh, a mental and emotional inspiration. So here is the clip. One thing I did have was some and a supply of fresh coffee, so I'd make this... Um, flask of coffee with you know put some caramel and chocolate in there and i'd walk it over to the other um vehicle now that might not sound like very much but to an alpha male when you do an act of service to them then all of a sudden you're below them you know what i mean and i'm an alpha male too uh so you know you'd walk over drop you know give them a a, a coffee and they'd call you a, you know a brew bitch um <laughs> that's so f- ridiculous i can't believe yeah, that i know but it's it, but you know the world is the way it is and not the way we want it to be uh, yeah you know uh, and so I thought, well, how can I do this and be happy about this? And then I thought, well, and this is this is where it gets a bit weird. Um, I actually heard a whisper on my shoulder, and I think, and like it was audible, like I heard it, and it was, take the ego out. And I didn't understand what that meant, but as time went on, I started to understand it more, because when I started to drop off that coffee. I'd step back to the other vehicle and I'd observe that that vehicle and that team interacting, you know, and they're all arguing with each other, but then they take that cup of coffee and then that, you can see it registers in their brain that this is really good coffee. And all of a sudden they're not in the hellhole of Afghanistan. They're back home at a coffee shop. You know, their shoulders relax. They look up at the sky a bit and then they start communicating, you know, and I thought it doesn't matter if they like me, hate me, call me names. They're stronger. Therefore, my survivability has just gone up. And it took me to go to that, you know, that harsh place of the war zone in Afghanistan to realise the importance of strengthening my fellow person. I actually called it the the ego bridge because if you want to get anywhere, 
if you dropped your ego, it becomes a bridge and you walk over it. Um, so imagine doing living life or doing something and you had completely no concern about what other people thought and whatever other people said. You know, that's, that's freedom incarnate. Man, I just love that concept of the ego bridge that Tim came up with. It's something I've actually thought about a lot since we uh, we did that interview. It's great. Um, on to the second nominee, we have got Brent Underwood in the Creative Marketing Guru episode. So this is much more of a sort of practical and business sort of inspiration. This little story you're about to hear of um, this sort of marketing campaign that he ran is one of the more inspirational marketing stories I've ever heard. Like you hear this and you're just like, man, I am not being creative enough or doing enough in my business life um, because I am definitely not coming up with ideas like this. So on to, uh, on to creative marketing guru. With him early on, you had to think about what's the story going to be? Cause anytime the press is looking to write about something, they want, what's the story, you know, what's the hook that they can really latch into and create a headline around or create um, a story around. And Nick sings in a pretty high octane. He's, he's a pretty high singer. So it can easily be confused with a girl if uh, he's, <laughs> if he's not singing uh, in a certain way. And so, you know, early on, we kind of went with this anonymous thing. Uh, a lot of artists have done it since, but at the time it wasn't as played out where we weren't going to release any press photos. Uh, it was always going to be referred to as he or she or they or a group, but never like consistent. So we would always confuse people. I remember one time we had Spin Magazine on the phone and I would alternate between he and she every other sentence, just driving the person insane, oh, trying to damn. figure out uh, who this person was. Um, but as far as getting attention for it, you know, a lot of times I think people start and they're like, you know, how can I be in the New York Times? And that's not the best way to do it. You know, if, if anything, Ryan outlined this best holiday in his book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, is, you know, there's this concept of trading up the chain where, you know, you kind of start with a small blog that might have a smaller audience, but significantly easier, uh, significantly lower entries to bear or barriers to entry. So for us, you know, the end goal for the first demo we were ever going to put out was to get onto Pitchfork. You know, Pitchfork is, you know, kind of the, the curator, the tastemaker in the scene. And we knew that if Pitchfork got a hold of it, a lot of other blog attention would come. But instead of trying to send, you know, a thousand blind emails to Pitchfork and never getting to respond to, a better way to look at it is like, where does Pitchfork get their stories from? You know, what blogs do they read? Go down a level and try to figure out, you know, like what they, those guys read and kind of like, can we get picked up on there and translate that back into a Pitchfork article? So there's actually a blog named Rose Quartz. It's called, I think it's rosequartz.blogspace.com. It's a really small blog, but Pitchfork uh, we've kind of like heard through the grapevine, always looked towards Rose Quartz to like pick up kind of the new and interesting sounds. Now how do you find, so then, how do you find out info like that? That one was just kind of like a, through the, through the grapevine, we were just asking around, asking different people. But another way to do it is like go to a Pitchfork writer's Twitter account and see who he follows, right? And so if he's following some small blog, then if you can appear in that guy's timeline then you have a better chance of you know at least being on his radar mm, than yeah. uh, a blind email so that's 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 kind of another way to do it and then you know once once you do get picked up by that smaller blog don't leave anything at a chance certainly you know then we rose course wrote about it i think on let's say a thursday uh and then sure enough pitchfork wrote about it on that friday the following day and you know from there nick started to get a little bit of attention um and then he got a smallish record deal offer from from France. They they offered him, I th you know, like low six figures. Let's call it for a couple albums. So it stretched 
stretched out and you know different payment structures. It wasn't giving me enough to live on even. Wait, Brent, hang um, on one sec. So did you sure. uh, did you how you said about not leaving things to chance after after you got picked up to do an article on Rose Quartz? Did you then reach out to Pitchfork or Pitchfork just reach out to you or they they just posted it without even letting you know um, because we, indeed they were reading it. Again, like, I, like uh, yeah, you're you're right to pick up on that. We didn't leave anything to chance. We shot that, shot the email over, shot the link to the article over to Pitchfork uh, from an email account. You know, we just kind of created an email account, sent that over, said this this might be something that you're interested in. And sometimes that's all it takes to get in front of a to get in front of a blogger because you have to figure, you know, they're always looking for content. So you know, kind of tying back into an overarching thing that is, if you can create something good and something worth talking about. Uh, Bloggers would write, love to write about it. There's, a, I think, there's a lot of times misconceptions that you know it's difficult to get press, and you know, like they're kind of holding all the cards when really it's kind of uh, uh, a seller's market if you have something interesting to say. And Nick's Nick's music at the time was interesting enough where we know that you know one tip over there um, could probably do it, and sure enough, uh, it did. I guess. Wow! Awesome, man. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. And so then come time to release a second song, we knew we had to do something bigger. And another thing that we, I try to think about when we're doing marketing is kind of like, let's call it a handle. So something that you can pick up on the story or product and carry it over to your friend. So when you're going to a friend, and how many times has your friend said, man, you should really check out this music. You think you'd like it, and then you forget about it. But if it's in a context of a story, it's like, oh, did you see when this band did this so like you know, did you ever hear about when the band released that spotify album that was completely silent so the fans were just played overnight but it would just charge spotify over and over and over to like uh to their account and they ended up making i think a hundred thousand dollars about on it i didn't but i won't forget that now that's yeah, crazy exactly. <laughs> so we were trying to think of like handles like that and so at the time uh nick was still anonymous still nobody knew what he looked like um at the time, we didn't have any social media presence at all. And so we really tried to play into the anonymous scene and all that type of thing. And Tor was was kind of just becoming pretty popular, you know, like the the dark web, or what they call it, like the underweb, where, you know, it's a seedy underground where drugs are sold and the silk market was down there and all these different types of things, very encrypted and anonymous internet. And so kind of in passing around drinks, as the best ideas typically happen, uh, we, th- we thought, what if we release this song on tour uh, instead of releasing through a major publisher and kind of go about it that way? And so, you know, after a, bit, a little bit of planning, we created a tour onion is what they're called. It's kind of like a page down on the tour browser, um, pitched it to a guy at the Business Insider and we were like, you know, have you heard about Tor? It's really crazy. You can buy like guns down there and drugs and all these different things. And he was interested enough. And then at the same time, we're like, and, you know, this musician is re- is releasing a song down there, which is crazy. Um, and so the first pickup was a Business Insider pickup and it was an outline of Tor. And that article just took off. I think it did 1.4 million views or something along those lines. And then Wait, so you our- were you were writing to this to this person a business insider on the guise of just like, hey, have you ever written an article about Tor? Let me kind of right. tell you about it. And not under the guise of, hey, uh, we want to tell you about this artist. Right, exactly. So we were kind of baking that into the story as part of this story because we knew that like we'd go in for a more specific ask afterwards, but just generally getting the name up there to begin with was kind of the first part of the p- first part of the equation, I guess. Yeah. And uh, like I said, Bloggers are always hungry for great content. So if you can give them an idea like that, you know, 
they have a page view quota. So that probably met his page view quota for the month. So really, you know, he should be thanking us in a certain way of looking at it, I guess. Totally. Um, (laughs) You were, you were like, blowing my fucking mind right now like all <laughs> like people should be paying you so much money for like i don't know how much people pay brass check but it should be crazy amounts of money like these ideas you've only gone over a couple of ideas and it's like unbelievably unique and good yeah and, it, it, and this one even got even better the the thing that really got the record deals is that after we had the thing on business insider and so we had a small small mention of nick on there you know it was like and this la band young and sick released a song on there then we went over to a reporter at forbes that covered kind of security and privacy and things that i knew this would be up their alley and i wrote to him and i was like listen you know i, I read this big article over on business insider i saw it blew up very interesting um i work with the the musician that that is mentioned in the article, Young and Sick. And in fact, he not only just released it down there, he turned down record deals to release it down there because he stands for privacy so much. You know, and at the time, privacy was kind of one of those news topics that was really buzzy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with that many kind of hooks in one email to the to the reporter, he quickly picked up on it. He wanted proof that there was record label deals that were being denied to put it down there. And then the headline that he wrote was just, you know, I couldn't have crafted it better if I wrote myself. The headline on Forbes was, why this artist turned down six-figure recording deals to release a song on the darkest part of the internet. And that was, <laughs> and this is, this is the second song the guy's ever put out, you know. So if, if you're watching his career, you're like, wow, damn, his first demo was on Pitchfork. Now he's written about on Forbes and on Business Insider. And it was kind of a, a ball of momentum. And and if, point, and if again, he didn't meet you guys, it would have been like nothing. I mean, it would have been like anybody else. You know, he would have like put him up on his little personal SoundCloud or something, and that would have been that. Sure, I think that like he still would have got there because his music is so good. But like, it was certainly pouring some fire on the ga- uh, pouring some gasoline on the fire, and, and kind of uh, helping it along. And then from there, you know, again, not leaving anything to chance, sending that link around a little bit uh, to more music blogs. Um, as well as major labels, you know, just inquiry forms on major labels. And then his manager, Aaron, does have some connections uh, within the music industry and kind of getting that article in front of the right people. Suddenly there's an urgency like, wow, this kid's blowing up after two songs. And then shortly after, yeah, the kind of record label deal is just kind of flooded in. And he ended up uh, over at Capitol Records and then ended up later signing a publishing deal with Universal Records. And at this point, yeah, like I said, it has a very successful both music and art career. On to the third and final nominee for the Most Inspirational Guest Award, we have got Michael Gorgin from the Director and Author episode. So this, I feel like, is different than the other two. This is more inspirational in the sort of spiritual and philosophical sense. So without further ado, here is the final nominee for Most Inspirational. And in terms of teachings and spiritual stuff and religion and and all this, there's so many paths out there. There's so many, you know, there's Buddhism, there's this, there's, there's all these things. I think there's a place for um, exploring. You need to read about this, read about, learn about different systems, different, learn about them. Uh, don't like just go, oh, well, this is the one that I first, I was, I was born a Christian. And so Christianity is the thing, or I, you know, I really dug this guy's book, and so now I'm believing in his system. And Explore! There's a lot of stuff out there. But then there comes a time where you got to pick something. And today, with all the information there is, there's a big difference between information and understanding. Understanding requires work, requires actual effort. 
requires doing things. You can't just read books. Um, to develop this other part of you, you, you it requires work. And, and every teaching out there has similar but different paths. And the paths have tools. Um, you know, as an example, you go Buddhism and meditation is a practice um, in Buddhism that is something you actually do. You don't just read scriptures and things. You actually do something. So I think that's the thing that all of the different testing out the different places, uh, digging here, digging there, digging there. When you find something, usually a real path, there's something you can do, actually do and practice. Yoga. I mean, there's a million different things. And also there is the path of making up your own path, which that's great too. But to actually practice and do something and not just think about it, not just talk about it, um, that's the, that's needed. You know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, go study in a university, get a PhD, and count angels on the tips of uh, pinheads or whatever. There you have it, your nominees for most inspirational. So the winner is an actual tie between Australian Special Forces and director and author. And you know what's so cool about that, you guys, is that those are the more uh, like philosophical and spiritual and, and um, kind of emotional ones and the less like businessy ones, which I love because that is what I'm way more into is the kind of like philosophical side of things. So I'm happy to know that you guys are into that too. That means that we're on the same page and I will keep on making content like that. Um, and that is it for most inspirational. So on to the awards for most unique career and most unique hobby. So these are going to be a little bit different than the last two in that I'm not going to be playing clips from every single one of the nominees to kind of showcase what was the inspirational part or where is a part where they talk about the big difference that they're making. Um, obviously, most unique career is is pretty straightforward. It's just the, the entire career that the episode is about. And same thing with most unique hobby. The entire episode is really about that thing. So um, I will just announce who the nominees nominees are and then uh, announce the winner and we will be playing a clip from the winners. So the nominees for Most Unique Career are Cuddle Therapy, Pet Detective, and Paranormal Psychic. And the winner for Most Unique Career is Cuddle Therapy with Travis Sigley. So here is a clip from the episode where he goes over what Cuddle Therapy is and why and how it helps people and is an important thing nowadays. Like you said, it's pretty pretty straightforward, um, cuddling in a therapeutic process and way. And it, for for what it is, as far as like the the brand or whatever the the service is, it's just this intimacy and affection and, and platonic touch and uh, educational really service that I started. Um, yeah, about seven years ago now, a little over seven years, and um, and that that's kind of the it in the most basic form. And there's a lot of stuff underneath the surface that's, that ends up being like a really profound experience and process for a lot of my clients and a lot of the people that have come to my, to my workshops around kind of re-engaging with, with touch and with the body as, as something that's not a sexual act or not a sexual, um, sexual experience um, or a sexual object as the body and, and something that allows kind of a little bit more of that, that childlike innocence and playfulness and just capacity to, to feel to feel pleasure and to feel comfort and to feel all these things in your body and not have to, um, not have to cross boundaries that are really confusing for a lot of people be, because there's a lot of stuff that's 
wrapped around sexuality and wrapped around our bodies that is a little bit out of our control because of a lot of um, unfortunate systemic realities we live in um, that that use bodies to you know sell things and to like the, just the hypersexualization of, of of culture and and advertising and how we've spun um, like our psychological awareness of of what these things are and and how we can utilize them. All right, congratulations to Travis. What a uh, what a unique thing that he does, and what a cool dude, by the way. So after we did that interview, I got together with Travis and uh, and we drank some tea and just kind of hung out and talked at his tea shop. And he is such a nice, awesome, warm, open dude. So if you happen to be in the Bay Area and you could use a hug, you should definitely hit up Travis Sigley. I'm sure he would be absolutely amazing at cuddling and is certainly just a great guy to talk to. Um, so on to the award for most unique hobby. The nominees are Pen Addict, American Ninja Warrior, and Obscure Record Collector. And the winner, as voted by you guys for most unique hobby, is Pen Addict with Brad Dowdy. So this clip I'm about to play will go over how Brad got into pens and like when he started liking it so much and the kind of community that he ended up creating behind pens and how that grew. It's a long-seated thing with me. I've always enjoyed stationery. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to find like the finest tip pen I could, you know, at the store. And I would hoard those so I could draw my little cities or little airplanes, you know, with my friends. And we draw all these little towns and stuff. But you had to have like a really, really fine pen to do that with. And you just really couldn't find that, you know, when we're talking like in the 80s and things like that. And so that never really went away. I was, I was always particular with what I wrote with, you know, in high school and college and things like that. And even after in, you know, when I had regular jobs in offices, the office supply cabinet, I would never use those pens. I would always bring my own because I was particular with what I wrote with. And it's not from the aspect of collecting pens. I guess you could call me a pen collector, but I'm more of a pen user. So I've been out to discover the things that work best for my writing style. So it doesn't matter if a pen is collectible or not. It matters whether it works for me very well when I write. It ends up on the page exactly how I intended to. So I started, you know, as I as I got older and as I would, you know, visit the office maxes and staples on my lunch break, like the weirdos would do. Um, you know, I finally kind of ran out of ideas from those places. There's not that much interesting interesting stuff on store shelves. So that's where the internet came in. And I, my eyes were open to Japanese pens. And what the, the Japanese are huge believers in stationery to this day. Pens and paper are part of their daily life, way more so than um, Americans. So they have very specific products, including very, very fine gelling pens. So once I discovered that, my mind just kind of opened up like, wow, there's this whole, I love this stuff. And there's this whole other world of stationery out there that I haven't discovered. So I started writing about it. I mean, my blog's been around for, I think, over eight years now. Um, so I, I've been writing, you know, in the beginning, my discovery of these pens. And I figured, you know, I'm just going to do this for fun. And maybe there's someone else out there interested in it. And it turns out there was. And it just kind of became this whole community thing where there's a bunch of us that talk about pens now. It, it's, it's pretty random when you say it out loud. 
So there you have it, your most unique hobby. And as a side note, I actually got a really nice pen after doing this interview. And Brad sent me another really nice pen because he's such a nice guy. And I am totally into having nice pens now and writing with nice pens. So if that sounds at all silly to you, you should totally check it out. There are some really cool pens that you can get yourself for under like 20 bucks that Brad mentions in that episode. And I highly recommend it. It really makes um, just anything that you have to take notes on throughout the day or write about that much more enjoyable. It just it heightens the the little things throughout the day. So, anyways, I hope you all enjoyed the first episode of the Half Hour Intern Awards. The second episode of Half Hour Intern Awards will be happening a week from today, next Thursday, and uh, in that episode, we will be going over the career that I'd like to do the most, uh, obviously as voted on by you guys, and the hobby that you would most like to try. And uh, we got a ton of votes for those two in, uh, in like absolutely everything got voted for. So you guys are really diverse in the things that you want to do and want to try and everything. But uh, we do have some winners picked out. So that will be happening next week. And a brand new episode of Half Hour Intern will be coming out this coming Monday as well. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.